This is The People's Show, coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews, find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Israel Fair in for Bic Nazar today, producer Dom here as well. You can text the show on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Dom, you still still glowing? We'll get um, to some Canucks talk in a bit, and uh, Ian McIntyre will join us about 10 minutes. But we're, we're going to do a, a fair bit, I think, of uh, the biggest story in sports. I'm buzzing. The WBC yesterday. You mean the Trout versus Otani show? Woo! We set it up yesterday. We talked to Jeff Blair from Sportsnet. Yeah. I believe my first question for him was something along the lines of, this tournament has gone about as well as anybody could have anticipated. And then we got that in the finals. The pitch-perfect script where the final out in a one-run game is decided by Shohei Otani and yeah. Mike Trout. It was, it was awesome. And then uh, Jeff McNeil getting walked after a, just an absolute ballsy take yeah. that he never apparently takes uh, by st- you know, statistically. Um, man, how could you not love that? And then like... The intros, they're both walking out, leading their team yeah. out. Yeah, they, they, they poured it on. They really did. It was fun, though. It was it was really cool. Uh, in the second segment, we'll dig into that. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get into a lot of uh, the, that baseball conversation. You know, everyone, was, everyone was talking about it. Uh, it, was, it was a hard day to be a World Baseball Classic cynic. Oh, but there's still worse. <laughs> yes. Yes, there were. Uh, like, the, the thing is, though. If that game in that moment isn't going to swing those people, it's never going. There's to. nothing you can do for them. Nothing. Really, like you you could not engineer a better scenario. So if you're still going to be a hater, then you're just a hater. That's it. Yeah. That that's uh that's on you. Uh the Canucks did play last night. Uh lost to the Golden Knights. Oh, did they? They did. It was a big night, Dom. Canucks for Kids telethon. Yeah, absolutely. Um Thought looked good. Good show. Sat Shaw, Elliot Friedman, running the show there, raising money. Uh, that was uh, that's that's a good day. Sat offering to shave his beard if they raise six hundred grand. <laughs> it was the second. I, I enjoyed uh, Friedge's joke about uh, donate more money, don't receive the Kevin Bieksa swag. Those two. Uh, that is good. Those two like to go back and forth. Uh, but uh, in the game, overall, pretty good game. Entertaining. The first period was not a good one for the Canucks. Got snowed under in shots. Did not make things easy on Thatcher Demko. At this point in the season, this has been a recurring theme this week and really since the Canucks have been out of the race. How much do these games matter? What can we take from these individual situations, these scenarios? If you're going to look on the optimistic side, give them credit for not going away, for continuing to stay in a game where early on they really had no business being in it. And, and Vegas, is, Vegas is a legit team. Vegas is a team that I came into the season still pretty high on and that they've done this without Mark Stone for a big chunk of the season, without 
the guy they thought was going to be their starting goaltender is impressive. But I guess at this point, at least when it comes to the on-ice results, the the most interesting guy in the room has to be Rick Tockett. And the accountability, which has been a buzzword for this team for a long time, it was something that we talked a lot about in the offseason when it came to Bruce Boudreau. And it was, it was a valid question at the time. If there were any concerns about Boudreau's coaching of this team, people had question about what's the accountability going to look like. And accountability in hockey can be overstated in a lot of different ways because talent and personnel is going to get you 80% of the way there, 90% of the way there. Having that accountability, being willing to sit guys, um, changing up lines, et cetera, et cetera. Having a practice standard and, and systems and, and, and the culture and all of that kind of stuff is just part of the equation. But here we are at this point in the season with a new head coach who was brought in and has talked about changing those things. And the, the way that the Canucks played in the first period versus the way they played the rest of the game, there was a marked difference. Um, and you saw that, and I think when it comes to something like accountability, it's not a blanket statement. It's not a blanket policy. Brock Besser turns the puck over, a bad play, still gets an opportunity to turn that back. That is where, at least for what we have here in, in the rest of the season, we can, I think, dig into and look at what's that really going to look like if this team ends up playing in games that matter at this time next season. Which then brings us to JT Miller. And there's been a lot of JT Miller takes. Um, I heard Thomas Drance on Canucks talk today, uh, talking a little bit about JT Miller, uh, talking a little bit about Bo Horvat as well, but let's let's stick with with JT Miller. To me, Miller has been, by and large, the same guy since he got here. And that's been with some really high peaks of play, and that's been with some really low peaks of play. And early this season, and there were a lot of examples as well in the Canadian division season, but early this season, he was making plays that were simply not at an NHL standard. And that was legitimate. Those criticisms were completely legitimate because he was he was really making making plays that AHL players would have to face accountability for but when he's on he can score goals like he did last night and he can score a penalty shot like he did last night there is still a high level of talent there and if it, it, I guess it depends where you want to start the JT Miller timeline if you believe that the Canucks should have traded him last season or in the offseason before signing him to a contract extension, fine. And guess what? I felt that way too. If I had been in the Canucks position, I would have probably traded JT Miller unless the packages that I, were, that I was getting were completely substandard. And I would have also been fine with moving off from Bo Horvat. I, I would have been fine moving off both. The organization decided, no, we're going to stick with, we, we want to keep one of them. And what is undeniable at this point is when JT Miller is on, this team looks good. And if you want to poke holes into that and say, look, when he's been on, 
It's at the end of last season. It's at the end of this season. These are games that don't really matter. And we can maybe overlook the end of the 2019-20 season, his first season with the Canucks, the year of the lotto line, where we, we go back to the games that were played right before the pandemic started and the rest of the season was canceled and the team was sliding a little bit. We don't, I think that's an incomplete, uh, but that season, by and large, quite good and quite a strong player. There are some crossover things with him as a player and what is being interpreted by us on the outside and by people who are reporting, people that are actually at the rink uh, in the availabilities that, that the team offers as to what his presence means uh, for the team in general, um, his relationship with Elise Pettersson, all of that stuff that comes up. But to me, at least where the Canucks are at right now and where they, thr- they, they aim to be, which rightly or wrongly is a team that's trying to win, a team that's pushing to be in the playoff mix next season, when he's on, they are unquestionably a better team. And that makes him, to me, a fascinating player. Because then it really does come down to a marriage of talent, uh, floor versus ceiling, where we know that the gap for Millers can be pretty wide. The ceiling's pretty high. The floor can be pretty low. But where does that player slot into your lineup? What kind of importance does that player have on the ice? And what that relationship is um, for uh, the locker room, for, for the way that the players are responding to that. And when I, to bring it back to Rick Tockett, where's that accountability? I think a small sample, it's still pretty early, but that there has been, there, there have been some strides made there. Um, and that was, that was certainly a legitimate, legitimate concern. Uh, Ian McIntyre is going to join us momentarily to unpack some of that, uh, a little bit more from, from the Canucks game as well. Uh, if we're looking ahead to tomorrow night's game against the San Jose Sharks, Philip Hronick is probably, or not probably going to play. He might play. I guess we'll learn uh, tomorrow morning uh, at Skate whether or not that's going to happen. Uh, won't have a, a drastic impact on where the Canucks end up at this point in the season, but I do think that the organization and the fans are looking forward to seeing him in the lineup if that comes to fruition. All right, uh, joining us on the line now, uh, joining the People's Show, it's Ian McIntyre, Sportsnet's Triple Threat. This insider is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Uh, Ian, uh, thanks for making the time today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How How is it flying solo? Like you have complete <laughs> command. It's, uh, it's a challenge at times. You know, Bic runs a pretty tight ship here. The, the standards are pretty high. Uh, let's not get carried away. Yeah, no, I, I'm trying to give him credit that he doesn't uh, yeah. doesn't deserve. He works hard, though. He does. You know, when you mention Ronick and wondering if he's going to play, I'm reminded of the great and people old enough to remember the the Jim Robson line about Trevor Linden in of the course. playoffs. You know he'll play. <laughs> well, I don't know that Ronick will play, but I'm pretty sure that Ronick will play. And I think he'll probably play on a on a pairing with uh, Quinn Hughes. So we'll see. 
We'll see. I mean, in the long term, you know, when the trade was made, and I know there was a whole lot of discussion about this trade, but uh, naturally, you know, the people wondered, is, is, is this finally, finally the fit? Finally the guy after Chris Tanev, who's going to fit with, with Quinn Hughes, and they're going to be a pairing uh, for a number of years. I think there's that possibility, but I also think, I also think that R- Ronick may be good enough to drive his own pairing, and the fact that the Canucks don't have um, maybe as much talent as ultimately they would like on their blue line might um, lead them to to split Hughes and Ronick. But I think I think initially there's a good chance we'll see them. To, I think whoever. Whoever Ronick's playing with, I think we're going to see him tomorrow night against San Jose. Both scenarios would uh, benefit the Canucks, whether he's playing with Hughes or if he's indeed playing on his own pair and driving that pair. Uh, I don't know if the Canucks will get the answer to that question with the remaining games. What do you think that the organization, the coaching staff, wants to see from him uh, in in these first few games uh, for the Canucks? Well, I think they just want to get to know him. You know, they want to know... Everything that happens and has been happening for the last month until the end of the season is all foundational work for next year. It's all uh, preparation, trying for the organization to know what they have, for the players to understand what it is they're being asked to do by this new coaching staff. Uh, To me, it's incredibly important because we've seen this year now that the Cucks are having this late you know, surge that isn't really going to accomplish much uh, other than diminish their their draft lottery uh, chances. And as well as, as last year, you know, the before and after uh, when when Bruce Boudreaux came in. What's it, what it's illustrated more than anything, you can have these great stretches, but if you are awful in October and into November, then, then it doesn't matter because you're not catching up. And uh, it's vitally important that the Canucks do whatever they have to do to be ready so that next year, when they come out in October, they're not trying to catch up in November. And so in that respect, this is really important for, for Ronick and the organization. I think it's, I think it's uh, and as important as I've just described it for the Canucks, I think it's equally important for the player. Is a guy who spent his career with one organization – a guy who not that long ago was described by Steve Eiserman as a core player on whatever the Red Wings were going to become. And now all of a sudden uh, he's hurt and he's traded, which is, which is a double whammy. And the trade is, is obviously the bigger whammy uh, of the two. We saw uh, a player recently in Nate Schmidt who came to the Canucks and granted it was a, Really odd pandemic season, but just did not fit. Was not anywhere near the player in Vancouver that he had been in Vegas. Went on to Winnipeg, and I still don't think he's been the player in Winnipeg that mm-hmm. he was in Vegas. But he's been uh, a hell of a lot better there than he was in Vancouver, and more comfortable there. It, it it's hard to say how players adapt because everyone is is different. But the fact that Ronick will get some games at the end of this season when there's no there's no urgency on results we'll get some games at the end of this season to to start to make what could be a very difficult transition for him having spent all of his career with Detroit and now coming 
now coming to Vancouver, coming to the West Coast, coming to a place where people may want to speak with him in the media almost every day from a place where nobody wanted to speak right. to him. Um, there's there's going to be a lot of adjustment. So if he can get some of that adjustment uh, done now and not in next October, that's that's really beneficial to him and the team. Ian McIntyre with us on The People Show, Israel Fair, filling in for Bick Nazar today. You mentioned in that answer about the, the rest of this month, the last month of the season, these final 12 games, that this team is very interested in not just with new players like Hronik, but with the remaining players in instilling habits that will carry over to next season. And that obviously comes back to Rick Tockett, which I found interesting last night where the team had a pretty poor first period and he wasn't afraid to talk about that and, and point that out, but was he was happy with uh, the way the players responded. And it comes back to the accountability. This was something that came up when Bruce Boudreaux was the coach. What would the accountability look like early in the season? Would there be ice time changes? Would there be um, stern talks? All of that kind of stuff. It's still early, but what do you make of the way that Tockett has so far made accountability part of his message? I think as as JT Miller described it to me uh, a couple of weeks ago, there's a lot less gray. Uh, there's a lot more more black and white. And that's for goes as far as on the ice and, and how the team's expected to play. But that's a reflection of how clear the instructions and the expectations are from from the coaching staff and 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 Rick Tockett, uh, I think you know it's. Uh, I'm pretty amazed actually at how much Tockett has been able to get done in in two months uh, from from the time he took over to what the what the team looks like now. And I know there there's naturally going to be a question of sustainability because everyone just got duped. I know I was fooled. I wasn't predicting championships for the Canucks this season, but I thought they they could play under Boudreaux at the start of this year, fairly close to how they played at the end of last year. And I was wrong. So naturally there's a question of sustainability, but I think the difference with Talkett and the expectations uh, that he has set, the accountability that he has already demonstrated amply demonstrated from the time he took over to now and even last night, you know, with Andre Kuzmenko, who uh, in a couple of games recently was one of his best players, one of his top three or four players playing only 11 minutes. Uh, I think that level of accountability is, is here to stay. Doesn't mean it's going to make the Canucks a playoff team. It doesn't, mean it's going to transform everybody on on this team but I think as far as his demands and his expectations he's not going to to waver on that and because of that I think there's a better chance of sustainability I think the team will be playing this way what you're seeing now set aside the results but just the way they're playing now uh, having grossly cut down the grade A chances that they've surrendered to the opposition. They're, and part of the reason it stood out so much last night, because we haven't seen turnovers like the Ethan Bear 
turnover on the first goal by Kessel. We haven't seen that much lately. We used to see it all the time. We got used to it. Now, now it, it stands out. Uh, I think they're, they're going to continue to work towards getting that out of their game and just playing a far more conscientious uh, defense-oriented kind of game, which has proven to be successful. They're going to play that game next October, too. And uh, I don't know if they'll be successful with it or not, but I think I think there's a certain uh, consistency and a dependability within that game that gives the Canucks a better chance to win, a lot, probably a lot better chance to win long term than the way they were playing in the final weeks under Bruce Boudreau. The way they were playing then, there, there was no chance to be successful. There was no chance to develop players properly and have them kind of plug and play the way we've seen, for instance, guys like Willannon and Brisebois come up from the minors and just fairly seamlessly play regularly for the NHL team. There are a whole, a whole bunch of things that have a better chance to succeed now uh, with Tockett and, and the system that, that he has brought in. Accountability is a huge part of it. Uh, another major factor, Thatcher Demko. It wasn't quite uh, like he was Saturday night in L.A. There was definitely a goal that he would have liked to have back last night. But uh, in that first period when, when the Knights were pouring it on, uh, he's, he's, looked, he's looked so good since he's been back from injury. What impact do you think that's had on, on the way that this team has played versus where they were earlier in the season when even when he was in net, uh, the, the numbers weren't there and, and certainly the team's success wasn't there either? Yeah, well, he's come back at the right time because the team, even the first month of of Talkit, was far more up and down than what they were in the last month. And, you know, Spencer Martin and Colin Delia ultimately were unable to do enough to absorb a loss, you know, the loss of Thatcher Demko. And that sounds like a harsh indictment, because Demko was one of the top five or six goalies in the league last year. So no, no backup on this team is going to replace him. But I think both Delia and Martin would have had a better chance playing behind the team that we've seen the last month than the team we saw uh, the first uh, three months of the season. So let's start with there. That is structurally in front of Demko. It's, it's, been, it's been much better, but he's also been, I think, uh, better than uh, almost anybody could have reasonably expected. Given his time off, the seriousness of his injury, and the fact that he had struggled at the start of the year before he was hurt, having come off some c- kind of medical procedure the previous offseason, there was a lot of things, a lot of factors working against Thatcher Demko coming back and being Bubble Demko. But he has he has played uh, I think you know as well in, in this last well since he came back this last stretch as he had maybe at any point last season not better than but as well as and that that was would have seemed sort of far fetched based on how he began the year and then and then coming back from from injury so I, I think I think on an individual. Uh, player standpoint, his reestablishment as an elite goalie 
And we still have a dozen games to go, so let's see how they play out. And you're right that, you know, one of the ones he let in last night wasn't very good, although he did make some five-star saves as well. Uh, I think on an individual basis, it's probably the single most important thing that will have happened in these last two months of the season. In garbage time, when a lot of people are thinking the games don't matter, and, and on a standing standpoint, they don't. But there's all kinds of things within the games that matter, and Thatcher Demko's reemergence is probably the most important thing that will happen to the Canucks. Quinn Hughes's comments yesterday I found interesting in um, a pretty full-throated defense of, of his play and his impact, and kind of interesting with uh, Eric Carlson coming to town tomorrow, a guy who has been you know, an incredibly dominant offensive player pretty much his entire career. He's been back to that level this season, uh, but there have always been those questions about his defensive play, uh, where Hughes, he gets a lot of the size stuff, and I said earlier this week in, in filling in for Bick that I don't think there's anything that he can really do to make those people that feel like he's too small ever change their opinions. But what, what did you make of of his defense, of, of his defensive play and, and the way that he plays the game? Well, I'm glad he said it. I'm a little surprised he, he said it, and he, he more or less volunteered it. It's not like he was teed up and, and kind of uh, prodded and poked to make, uh, make uh, a comment as strongly as he did, that, that if people um, think he can't defend, then they haven't been paying attention. Uh, I'm a little surprised he said it because I, I remember talking to him last year a couple of times, and it was clear that that it really bothered him. In fact, I think uh, in one of my stories he actually said that. Of all the things you could say to me, the thing that bothers me most is that I can't defend. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. You know, the, the, the biases that he's had to overcome in, in terms of people's perceptions of what a de- defenseman can be and what a, what a star, what an impact defenseman at the NHL level uh, can be, but also, you know, his, his upbringing where he was coached a lot by his dad, who is a professional coach and his dad always stressed uh, defending, keeping, keeping the puck out. He never worried about his, his kid's skill level because it was evident to all, you know, that the Hughes boys were something special as far as skating and skill. So it was all about, you know, an emphasis on, yeah, but you got to defend. And so it really uh, strikes, I think, a personal chord with, with Hughes when people say that, that he can't defend. But he had also said something to me similar last year about, you know, he, he can't, frankly, he doesn't care what people's perceptions are because he knows, he knows how he's playing and he knows the improvements that he's made in terms of defending uh, I had an interesting conversation today with Adam Foote. You know, we were talking about R- Ronak coming back to the lineup. But I asked him, I took the opportunity to ask him about Quinn Hughes as well. And if, you know, is he better than you thought? You know, what is has he surprised you? And, of course, Talkett said last night as well, you know, about Hughes and defending that this guy defends. He defends with his speed and he defends with his smarts, but he certainly defends. And I, I asked Adam Foote, and he said, you know, he knew, he knew that Quinn was good, and he did believe that he could 
defend. But what has surprised him the most is how competitive Hughes is, how badly he wants to to win every game and win every shift that he's he's out there. And and Foot said, you know, he's he didn't know he was the complete package. That he he knew he had these skills and could skate and all that stuff, and and also knew he could defend. But he said he didn't know he was the complete package, meaning he's got incredible hockey IQ and he's got this incredible competitive drive to want to be the best and win uh, at whatever he's he's doing. So, you know, I, I'm not sure why Hughes doesn't seem to get love east of uh, our market, mm-hmm. but uh, I think he's an elite defenseman. And certainly his his organization, his head coach, his assistant coach on defense, you know, think he's an elite player as well. Ian, uh, thanks a lot for the time and uh, for sticking with me, uh, even though Bick, Bick's not here. Uh, really appreciate it. Well, I'm probably the perfect guest for you, <laughs> uh, Israel, because you know that all you have to do is ask me something and I'll speak for three and a half minutes. So it's tough when you're there on your own, but I hope I've given you a chance to Go have something to eat, you know, go to the bathroom if you needed to, get get some water, hydrate, and finish the show strongly. Yes, you did great, Ian. Thank you so much. See ya. All right, Ian McIntyre, uh, who was a presentation of Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Traveling in March, Rogers has you covered. Get one Rome-like home day on Rogers when you travel between now and March 31st. To learn more, go to rogers.com. Quick note on, on iMac. Uh, was going to mention it to him, but we're short on time. Uh, if you haven't read his story on Ethan Bear that came out last week, uh, highly recommend it. Um, Ian is still one of the best in the market at writing those kind of human personal stories. Uh, and, of course, covering the Canucks, a lot of them. Uh, involve the Canucks. All right, coming up next here on the People Show, Dom and I are gonna relive uh, the WBC moment last night, uh, the the at bat that had the the sports world buzzing, uh, and I'm gonna get into why the WBC has such an impact on a certain generation of baseball fans. We'll do that next. This is the People Show on Sportsnet 650. Two from Otani. He throws. Trout strikes out swinging. Otani and Japan celebrate a World Baseball Classic championship. And on this night, the great Shohei Otani and Japan just a little bit better than Mike Trout and USA. What an ending! Welcome back to The People Show, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Israel Fair in for Bic Nazar. Text the show 650-650. That's the Dunbar Lumber text line. We've been giving away Drake tickets all week. We're about to do it again. All right, Dom, here we go. Give the people what they want. The trivia questions the last two days I found amusing. 
So I, I'm, I, I don't know what this one is. I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to hearing what you've got to, to test the people's knowledge. Thanks, Izzy Fair. Each day this week, we are giving away one pair of tickets to Drake. It's all a blur tour with special guest 21 Savage at Rogers Arena on the August 28th show. I know he's added a second show, but we're giving tickets away for the August 28th show. Tickets on sale now at Ticketmaster.ca. And the first person who can correctly call 604-280-0650 and answer this trivia question about Drake. Uh, We'll walk away with the tickets. In 2016, I'll give you a hint. In 2016, Drake released his first ever worldwide number one single. Name that song. His first ever worldwide number one single. 604-280-0656. yeah, 0650. 0650. Right. <laughs> you got the number. You started dancing and it threw me off. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Uh, you got the number. Call that number. Answer the question. Dom will be there. We'll be giving away another pair of Drake tickets. Gave them away Monday. Gave them away yesterday. Bick will actually be here tomorrow. One day this week for Bick. You know, I know he does the games and et cetera, et cetera, but this is his show. He will be here tomorrow. Uh, he'll be giving away those tickets tomorrow, and I'll be back Friday to close out the week with uh, another pair of Drake tickets for the people. All right, so last night, if you were watching the World Baseball Classic, you were treated to, and I don't think this is hyperbole. I, I really believe this. One of the coolest moments that we have seen In baseball, and I would go as far as to say across sports in a pretty long time. In the ninth inning of a 3-2 game, Shohei Otani came out of the bullpen after being the designated hitter uh, throughout the game for uh, Team Japan in the finals, playing against Team USA. And hitting in the three-hole, the the third batter to come up that inning, uh, was Mike Trout. And as fate would have it, They squared off with two outs in a one-run game. The count went full, and Otani struck out Trout on a slider. That was, I mean, outside of any context, one of the most impressive pitches that that, that anyone has seen in a really long time. But you add the rest of that context. It's a final. It's those two guys. It's the tournaments that they both had. Uh, to, to to punctuate it like that, just just incredible. Uh, the WBC, MLB could not have scripted that any better. Right down to the last pitch, and the reaction in the moment was, you know, I know people maybe have gotten used to it in the Twitter era. I remember early in the Twitter era when these major sports events happened and people would react in real time and have that communal thing. It was seen as something really cool. And maybe now we're used to it. Maybe now Twitter is not necessarily all fun and games like it was uh, back then or at least more back then. But the reaction in the moment last night was just people were were odd, I think. Like, it was it was awesome. Uh, yeah, baseball had its flowers last night for sure. And it's it, it that night, uh, that last night was a win for baseball. How could it not be? Uh, just to add to the moment, Izzy, uh, this stat blew me away uh, from that moment last night. Mike Trout has swung and missed 
or he did swing and miss at three pitches on that game-ending strikeout call. In over 6,100-plus MLB plate appearances, Trout has swung and missed at three pitches in the same at-bat 24 times out of 6,100-plus attempts. That just speaks to how good Mike Trout is and what (laughs) Shohei Hotani was able to do. That is the filthiest slider maybe in the history of baseball. It was perfect. It really was. It was perfect. And it's a guy who can also throw 100. We saw Devin Williams. He was uh, pitched the eighth for Team USA. He's yeah. got a nasty changeup that the throws it in the mid-80s. The bottom just completely falls out. He seems pretty close to unhittable. And then you get Otani, who also is one of the best hitters alive doing that, coming in yeah. uh, into that game. Just just incredible stuff. And the reaction, not just from the fans, but you could see the emotion. Uh, it means something. Really important to the Japanese yeah. team and the American players. Um, a lot of them had, I think, pretty good perspective that, uh, I mean, Mike Trout said this is the the, be- like the best 10 days of his life, the most fun he's had over 10 days in his life. Oh, he plays for the Angels. Yeah, I know. Not good. How about that, by the way? Yeah, now those guys get to go back. And not play to the Angels. Baseball. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm sorry, but if any if, if anything last night showed us the criminality, the absolute injustice that Shohei Otani and Mike Trout play for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, and we never get them in the postseason ever. We're robbed of those moments. It's absolutely criminal. By the way, last night, approximately 97.4% of TVs in Japan were tuned in to watch that Shohei Tani strikeout to end the World Baseball Classic. Unreal. 97.4%. Do you know how many people live in Japan? A lot. Tell me this tournament doesn't matter. It matters to those countries. The, the, The country. And the players. The country that needs to get fully on board is the U.S. And they won the last one. Uh, and they finished second here. And their lineup was pretty close to what you would yeah. say is the best lineup. Aside sure, you could say, yeah, I mean, like the like the, the order, yeah, like the, the 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 hitters. I mean, half the team was uh, Phillies. <laughs> we'll get to the Phillies in a bit. Trey Turner, we'll Schwarber, your Phillies, bomb by the way. Oh my God, that, oh that's my true. Goodness. The, the Schwarber bomb was uh, was ridiculous. He cranked that. If that was any other ballpark, I think that's gone out of the. That's out of the entire area code. Like you could argue, okay, Aaron Judge, that that would be cool. Yeah, but otherwise, pretty close to to the stars. Sure. You got the you know the two guys from the Cardinals that were uh, the MVP front runners in the National League. Trey Turner, JT Realmuto, best catcher in baseball, is there. Like, come on. Yep. Trout, Mookie Betts. You know, if you're looking at the, the, way, the real stars, Freddie Freeman is one of the best players. He played for Canada. We should also not discount, like, Shohei showing up, going, Jeff McNeil, Mookie Betts, Mike Trout. And, like, walking Jeff McNeil. Yeah. On, like, the ballsiest, like, hold I've ever seen a guy take. Like, Trout a had a pretty take. good take, too. In, yeah, in sure, yeah. But, like, Jeff McNeil never takes on those pitches. No, he's a and contact it, guy. It, like, yeah. grazed the strike zone. It was so close. <laughs> What a game, honestly, even my fiance, who doesn't watch baseball, doesn't give two licks about baseball, 
even she was like, she could understand the moment. Yeah, like it felt like they were real stakes. Yeah. And it, do- it does feel like the start of something with the WBC. And it's, it's not new life because there is a little bit of history. You go back to 2006, the first one. But the first, I guess the first three were more kind of intrigue than anything. Kind of, oh, this is, this is interesting. This one really felt real. Yeah. But like anything good, it takes time. And like Drance, Drance had a great take on this today too comparing it to, to ho- what hockey's going through right now. Right. You have to be consistent. If, if, if yeah, the, the hockey NHL cannot wants... build the World Cup of Hockey without actually playing. Yeah, and committing to it every four years or two years, whatever you want to do. And, like, the players are so on board. They are. They are crying out. Connor McDavid talked about it today. Crying out for a best on best. Um, the country poll is is a great one. And it was it was really cool. I mean, I'll, I got a few kind of stray, straggling WBC points. One of them is that Miami has been a tough market for Major League Baseball. Oh, absolutely. It is not a tough market for the WBC. No, they show in droves. They, it is. It's, I mean, it's so it's central easy. to everything, too. Yeah, it, it's like it is a party in there. Yeah. Like, they respond. Like, it, the, the, <laughs> it doesn't solve Major League Baseball's Miami problem. But it's at least like, hey, like we, we know Miami has a baseball culture. We know how many Dominicans and Cubans live there. Tons of South Americans. Um, people joke Miami's the capital of South America. Um, Central America. Yeah. Uh, both. Uh, both, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool to see that. But the bigger point that I want to make is that this tournament proves, even go to the semi game, Randy Rosarena, right? Like he plays oh, yeah. on Tampa Bay, he's a good player. He caught everyone's attention when the Rays made their run to the World Series a couple of years ago. That's another star player. He made these impact players. The WBC sets the stage for these plays and these players in a way that the MLB season doesn't. And I'm a huge baseball fan. I love baseball. I love the history of the game. I get behind and understand what Aaron Judge even though, yes, it was just the American League record. Hey, this matters for something because the Yankees have been around forever. This, this is a significant record. And, and, and I, I buy into that stuff. But what WBC does is actually gives the stakes that you don't get over 162. Or in preseason baseball. No, absolutely not. Yeah. And it's, the, it's kind of the joke today, but that's the biggest game that Trout and Otani are likely to play this year. Because now they're going to go play 162 games for the Angels. They're probably not going to make the playoffs. And that means that those two guys who gave us that moment last night won't have the chance to do it again. Because And it's like I'm not advocating like, the Major League Baseball season, I think, is already It's too long, but if they make it 154, it's still not going to change things. But the WBC is really ready-made. And what it tells me is that these young players, which has been part of MLB's marketing campaign, we have young players. We have young, exciting players. Uh, they're from a bunch of different countries, and that has been a big part of their message. Let let the kids play. That was one of their marketing slogans a couple of years ago. Let the kids play. Well, this format allows them to play and show what they can do at that level stage, with yeah. stakes. It, it's 
It shows you that there there can be excitement in the game and that we spend all this time talking about bigger bases and the pitch clock. And tinkering and, with the playoff format. And, and all of that stuff. Yeah. Look, what and why October baseball, for people that don't like baseball, they can watch one of those and go, wow, this is really intense because every pitch matters. And what Major League Baseball needs to figure out, and not like it's not a pressing issue because Major League Baseball still has people that care about the game uh, at a high level that will watch nearly 162 games of their favorite team and so on. But to try to get more of those moments, I think, is is just natural. It, it, it's where we're at with professional sports. It's good business. It's good business, right? Everyone wants to figure out a way how to get more teams into the playoffs. Well, how about we just shelf that? You've got a good product in October and focus on this. This is this is honestly this is the next best thing to major league baseball playoffs. And it's ready made for your biggest stars to all be there. That's the other thing is like everyone rags on on all-star games cuz people don't really care, really put effort in. This is the next best thing. You've got your like the biggest stars in baseball could all show up to this thing aside from the pitchers. We'll see what what happens there. It's so tricky with the pitching. It is. It is. There's no there's no good fix. Yeah. Unless unless they just let it happen. But like I yeah, if yesterday proved anything, it's that this is here to stay and this is really good for the sport. Really good for the sport. And it also proved and I'm going to bring it back to hockey. Like get your act together. Hockey. Tw- was it 2014 with Sochi? Yeah. And then the 2016 World Cup. Yeah. We're coming up on... I mean, the World Cup was a bit of a joke. But it's sim- It's like their but, version yeah. of the WBC. Yeah. You got to start somewhere. But we're coming up on a decade since yep. the last Olympic tournament. Yep. And, you know, what is it? Uh, I'm terrible at math. Five years? Six years? Seven years? Seven years since um, the World Cup of Hockey. Yeah. What are we doing? What are we doing? It's, what a joke. What an absolute joke. Anyway, I wanted to say one thing before we, if you don't mind, we please got to hand it over to Canuck Central. I I walked into the uh, prep lounge. Uh, my uh, I know no one cares, but I have a fantasy bas- baseball uh, draft today. That's oh, not the point. I had one last night. That's not the point. Not eight hours. I am wearing, I'm a Phillies fan, I am wearing a Phillies National League Championship shirt. World Series loser that, shirt. Yeah. That I unfortunately had to purchase from the monopoly known as Fanatics because no one else sells <laughs> this particular type of shirt. And everyone is ragging on me because I, I purchased a <laughs> National League Championship shirt. I just want to remind everyone, the Phillies weren't supposed to go to the World Series. This is gravy. The fact that they even got there was gravy. If they were favorites, then I would think differently about it. But that whole run was a Cinderella run. Like, the whole thing was enjoyable. So that's, enjoyable. Your, that's your just justification. It yeah. Was, it was We weren't supposed to be there. Free money. The run was awesome. Bryce Harper, Schwab bombs. Yeah. Uh, I'm all in. Aaronola dicing. Like, the whole thing was just gravy because no one expected us to, to be there. It's not like it's not like when the Yankees are powerhouse favorites and like they get to the World Series. Obviously, Randy Jan is not going to buy an American League, American League <laughs> Championship shirt. It's different. Well, they'd have to make the World Series again. Yeah, first. it's been a while. Yeah, but like, 
I don't understand. Like people look at me at, like today, Reach and and Josh, even you, a little bit. Yeah, we're laughing. I'm like, well, you know what? Like, I, I have one more joke. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, are you just wearing that because you uh, your Canucks President's Trophy uh, shirt was in the wash? Very funny. <laughs> I don't have one. I don't have. One. Would you? No. Uh, in 2011, because they, uh, I, I didn't buy a Western Conference shirt. No, I didn't. I was like so. But again, it was different in 2011. They were the favorites. They were the President's Trophy winners. They were like they were supposed to win the cup. When the Jets win the division, are you getting a? Jets, I might think about AFC East. It. I might think about Aaron it. Aaron Rodgers is the goat. Yeah, sure. I might think about yeah. it. Okay, because it's you know hard times, hard times. <laughs> the bar is different for every team. You have to admit, you have to admit. Like I'm not going to go out and buy a Manchester United UEFA uh, Europa League champion shirt because I've I've tasted I've tasted UEFA Champions League victory. You know, it's different. The bar is different. It's okay to wear National League merch. I'm glad that at least they sold one to you. Yes. On sale. I wonder why it was on sale. Oh, yeah. It's, I know why. <laughs> this is a National League championship. <laughs> I'm not blind to this. Oh, man. All I, right. I remember the run fondly, and I will remember it when I wear this shirt. That's what matters. Exactly. That's what's important. All right. That's it for us. Like Dom said, Canucks Central Boys. Uh, special guest today, actually. Uh, Dan Riccio and Randy Janda. Kevin Woodley and Overrated Underrated Wednesday. On the program, Overrated Underrated, and uh, the great Kevin Woodley. No password. No no password. No, it's, it is a reunion show, but no password. Uh, those guys will be coming up next. This is The People Show, Israel Fair, Dom Sharmati. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.